Watch out for that frisbee, Nick. Oh, man. You know what? I don't know who did the interior decorating here, Tim, but it is the bomb. It's true. I love the, the glowy lights. The glow lights. It's like everything's blacklit. Yeah. And and I want some of those suits. And one of those motorcycles. <laughs> and, um... The motorcycles look dangerous, if you ask me. Dangerous awesome. <laughs> Awesomely dangerous? Awesomely dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. But, come on. Can't you see me dressed in a, in a cool suit? Riding one of those bikes. I just wish I knew how we got here. We were we were sitting in your basement to do the podcast, and all of a sudden we were well, here. Yeah, we were playing. The, I had I had bought that old arcade game of Pac-Man. Were we about ready to play that? Yeah. Weird. I don't know. Where'd okay. you Where'd you get that anyway? Oh, um, some some guy um, Sheridan, I think was his name. Yeah, he, he he wanted to give it to me. He said he had to be off. Okay, well, whatever. I'm sure all our listeners know exactly what yeah. you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, anywho. Welcome, folks. Wherever <laughs> we are, we're ready to do another round of uh, podcasting and storytelling for your listening pleasure. 2012 will be 1.2 times better than 2011. Exactly. Joe, did you have a good Christmas, Nick? I actually did have a very good Christmas, yeah. Spent with the fam. Went skiing. Went skiing. We had snow. Uh, which yeah. was which was nice. Uh, wait, where were you? You went Michigan again, right? Yeah, we were just north of Cadillac, Michigan. Real snow? Real snow? Well, a lot of made snow, and then like the first night we were there, it snowed like two or three inches, and then it snowed some more the next day. Wow! I think it's like the only place in Michigan that had snow when we were there. I was gonna say we didn't have snow around here because no, we really time. lucked out. It was pretty awesome. That was pretty cool. I didn't go anywhere, but I had a very nice Christmas too. Got a lot of cool stuff. My family really spoiled me this year. I felt like this this was the first year that kind of compared with uh, 1991 when I finally got G.I. Joe's and a Game Boy. That always seemed to me like my best Christmas stash ever. But this year, they, they were really good. Right. And then New Year's Eve, I got to spend it with 21 um, 6th through 12th graders. I don't lock in. Nice. I invited Tim to come, but he decided <laughs> he was going to go spend it somewhere where he didn't have to deal with young people. Yeah, no, I, I had to spend New Year's at home with uh, one of my sisters and a friend, and we just watched Doctor Who and Firefly. So I think we did, we made out pretty well. No, that, yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. But <laughs> Tim, there's no one I'd rather bring to do the grid with me than you. Ah, well, thanks. <laughs> Let's get on with it then. Let's uh, move on to story school. For Story School today, we are going to talk about technology. Coincidentally, actually, you know, since we're here in the grid, complete coincidence. Exactly. Like Enough monkeys can come together and do that over again. That's probably true. It's <laughs> We're very convincing. Anywho, so yeah, technology. Now, we're, you haven't changed podcasts. We're talking about how technology influences storytelling, both in terms of what kind of stories gets told and what's possible within a story. And we'll, we'll kind of explain this a little bit more. 
if you're using the highest grade iPod, you'll be able to smell and feel everything that we're also talking about. That's right. Yeah. Do you feel that like crisp, cool sense of technology <laughs> flowing through your veins? That's that's the special feature from the yeah. iPod. So in one sense, um, I was thinking about this, Nick, that a lot of times what technology is available, what kind of media is available, directly impacts what kinds of stories get told, or at least what kind of format. Like when all we had were books in terms of media, then we had books. Uh, magazines, which were very popular in the 1800s, gave rise to a lot of the serialized books of Dickens and Sherlock Holmes and things like that. Um, then you had, in radio time, then you had radio plays, which are pretty, that probably wouldn't have been developed unless there was a medium no. that, that used it. And because that opened up all kinds of different, you had a lot more imaginative possibilities in some ways. Mm -hmm. Because you could make a Sunday out of, on Lake Erie if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. Or the, you could have a story about a chicken heart that engulfed the entire world. Yeah. That actually happened. Really? Yeah, I've never, I'm not sure if I listened to it, but it involves some very creative, uh, sound effects i hear <laughs> nice well and the thing is we are doing this podcast because we have the technology that hey we can sit in the basement talk to each other and let people listen to it that's true and we were able to do it when we were living in completely different states that's not the case now but that's it enabled what we do now and so yeah so technology i think humans always want to create stories and they find as many different ways to create stories as possible i'm actually just this year i think we talked about this last year just started teaching my 7th, 8th graders about interactive fiction. Oh, yeah. Which is a whole other way of telling the story. There's always kind of a learning curve when you have this new technology and trying to figure out a different way to tell it. Like, like Twitter novels. <laughs> Twitter novels is a very new thing. Um, or film itself, you know, when it first started, it felt very much like plays in a lot of sense. But as they learn more techniques about new ways, you know, what, you can, what can you do with a camera visually that you wouldn't be able to do in any other medium, then uh, cinema kind of developed its own thing. And video games are kind of getting to that place, too. I think we've talked about that briefly. Well, and then, like, with 3D movies, a lot of it seems unnecessary, but I know there's some directors who are really experimenting with what you can do with it in an artistic sense. I guess um, Scorsese with the Hugo movie, which I have not seen, which I hear a lot of people enjoyed. Yeah, I've heard Really was one of the best use of 3D people have seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been meaning to see it, because it seems like it'd be a very important one to see in theater. And Zach, Zach's been watching some of the behind-the-scenes uh, Hobbit making stuff, and apparently he, uh, Peter Jackson's filming in ways that utilize 3D in massive ways. Yeah, I saw that the concept artists were even doing their, their like, rough sketching in 3D. So I don't know about how I feel like about it for The Hobbit. It feels, to me, I feel like, you know, the original ones were regular 2D. You should have just stuck with it. Well, Peter Jackson likes to play with the... The medium, yeah. The medium. Well, I can't blame him for that. And, and if I, he tells me a good story, you can, you can do it in, you know, flip book. That's fine by me. <laughs> oh, that's probably true. But have you seen the trailer for it? Yes. It's yeah, pr pretty it awesome. Yeah. I, I was really happy they had the dwarf singing. Uh, yes, that was, that was very nice. Because my version of the dwarf singing is from the cartoon The Hobbit. Uh, yes. Let me put a little bit of that in here. Under the mountain dark and tall, the king has come into his hall. Actually, the songs <laughs> in the Hobbit cartoon are really good. That's true. Certainly, a sort of a feel of the time the movie was made. Yeah, it has kind of that folksy mm -hmm. sound to it. We, okay, we got kind of off track here for various reasons. <laughs> We've been talking about technology and me about uh, Hollywood and the internet. Well, like the SOPA, 
Oh, yeah, the Stop Online Piracy Act. Yeah. yeah. Thing is, Hollywood is very pro um, moving forward in technology when it comes to finding new ways to get people into the theater. And that's why they started developing 3D and why they went the color and sound. It's always trying to get these new techniques. So they're always very forward-thinking in terms of what will bring people in. They've always been very um, anti-technology when <laughs> it comes to giving up their own power or what they think is going to give up their own power. The, VHS is Yeah, the VHS debate was a big deal um, because they thought, hey, people are going to have enough of people staying home and watching TV and not going to theater anyway. We're going to lose even more money now because they're going to be recording stuff and they there was a big to-do about it. But you know what happened? They wound up getting a whole new form of revenue from video rentals and stuff like that. And the home video market is, in some ways, as large, if not more lucrative, than um, actual box office. So this whole thing when the, with the Stop Online Piracy Act just really ticked me off. And it just kind of another shows you, if you don't know much about it, is a lot of these Hollywood uh, lobbyists trying to prevent, trying to pass this bill that would, Basically, any kind of copyright infringement, um, or at least what someone might suspect as being copyright infringement, be I think the ISP could restrict access to it mm -hmm. or something like that. Just absolutely ridiculous, totally un-American and and um, censorship, really. And it would not affect the, the actual culprits, the pirates from that are overseas and stuff. But Hollywood just got all in this tither about it, and they're just doing what they've done in the past. Well, s streaming in general, like Netflix and Hulu is really um, yeah. changing up the whole how things work. I just heard this week that Netflix released their first original series. Like, oh, yeah. And I, I guess, that. and they mentioned that, you know, they released all eight <laughs> episodes at once as opposed to week by week because, well, one guy who was reporting this news said he thinks that's how TV is going to be eventually. You'll just, mm. you watch it as fast or as slow as, as you want. As you want. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean... Internet video is really it's only going to be get bigger and bigger. I mean, which is another reason why the this uh, Stop Online Piracy Act bill was really like the worst time for it because there's more legitimate ways now to get entertainment that still supports the the filmmakers and stuff than ever before. But but yeah, I think video internet video is only going to get more and more popular and more and more independent people are going to be doing it. Well, the the especially the internet in all its forms has really opened up possibilities for creators mm -hmm. where there used to be very high it was you had to you had to reach a certain point before you could get to anyone and now yeah. you can get to you know we can just sit in our like i said earlier we can sit in the grid and make a podcast you know you can publish an ebook on amazon if you have a computer and you know know how to type yeah it's kind of like in a sense it's, it's very similar to the way you know when you had the printing press suddenly you get your ideas out to lots of people much more quickly than you could before and the trick now is Sometimes and kind of depresses me. There almost is too much stuff out there. Yeah. Like even from a creating point of view, it's like, okay, I'm one drop among ten billion. Yeah. And you know, and most people who do that are going to just have a small audience, which you know, for a lot of them, what is it? The the long tail. Have you heard of the long tail? I'm not sure. It's the idea that if you can get a thousand, oh, um, yeah, a thousand dedicated fans, you can make a living at whatever you're doing. Which unfortunately we are well short of right we now. Had a, we had what? About a half dozen of, yeah. of dedicated fans. <laughs> yeah. And a dozen of, we listen to you when there's nothing on TV. <laughs> or when you talk about something that we're interested in. <laughs> so, coming up next, Twilight episode. No. <laughs> <laughs> that actually might make us lose fans. But the, for, from our fan base, that might be true. Yeah. <laughs> coming up next, um... 
Hungry Hungry Hippos, the podcast. <laughs> the Hunger Games, Star Trek, Christopher Nolan, and Doctor Who. Wait, that's what we do anyway. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And so there's a lot of opportunity with the new technology. It's kind of intimidating, like from a publishing standpoint, from in the in the publishing world, it's almost chaotic. You don't even know. Yeah. There's so many venues. You can go to traditional publishers, which are not a bad way to go, but there's so many other opportunities that might be better depending on what your thing is. And traditional publishers are as hard to get into as they've ever been, if not harder, because, mm -hmm. again, there's so much more interest. Well, and then either it, you have a combination of good business skills and good promotion and luck, you can be like the person I read about who sells his novels for 99 cents and makes make like $300,000 a year. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. See, this is where you know more about, because like, I don't know anything about like, I mean, you're like the only person I know who does much in terms of internet publishing, and I, I follow and internet video much more. Well, and I'm not, I, I'm basically slowly wading into it, because I find it fascinating. I've always been fascinated with the with the new, different way of doing things, um, for better or worse. You know, the problem is I'm not a particularly good promoter. My brother is, and because there's so many between, if you... If you organize right between Twitter and Facebook mm -hmm. and blog tours, you ever heard of blog tours? No. Yeah. Web fiction writers do blog tours when they like release something. Well, they'll, they'll guest write on other people's blogs. and Oh, okay. Which I is kind of cool. We have web comic artists do that a lot. They do a guest strip for... Which is all about community, which is my downfall because I don't have enough time to develop a community. Mm. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. So, which is why there's that idea we want to do. This is true. But that we'll save that for later. Yeah. That, I'd say it's safe to say that I think we're going to strive to get a bit more at um, reaching out this this year. We've got plans for a number of things. we got sponsors, even. That's true. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that later. But anyway, it's a brave new world out there. Yeah, very much so. And there's just so many ways you can do things now. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just like getting your stuff out there, like, but also people have talked about how much film video technology itself has become cheaper and like 20 30 years ago it would have been you would have to be pretty dedicated to make a you know a short film of much significance or have a super eight yeah or have a super <laughs> eight okay maybe maybe further back 40 years i guess but i mean I think even the super eights are pretty rare yeah yeah like those those are the kind of kids that are pretty dedicated to this stuff and now it's pretty easy for just about Production anyone to value production it's it's pretty easy for anyone to put out something that's of pretty high quality i mean the quality of basic hd a camera like just a camcorder can have is is ridiculous like we i think we actually talked in film school i remember having this conversation one time about how spoiled we are in some <laughs> ways like because hd if you're if you're recording in a really nice hd camera there are so many mistakes you can cover up. Like when we, we need a piece of cake, there are a number of times when it's like, you know, I don't like the composition of this shot. Let's enlarge it like by like 10 times and not lose any of the quality, picture <laughs> quality, because our HD was like that ridiculously detailed nice. so that you could like zoom it up and it's just amazing. No, the interesting thing from a writing point of view is that technology, whatever it changes in the delivery, it doesn't change in, you have to sit down and... Right, and, and the thing is, though, <laughs> writers still get excited about, you know, new programs that help you write, a new screenwriting. Pro In the end, it's you and the screen or the paper and the pencil and hitting your head against the wall. It's very true. I actually just had this experience very recently where I was had to edit video for a freelance job I did, and I realized it's just like writing. The hardest part was sitting down and actually start it. 
It's that uh, what's they say they say you're more likely to procrastinate if the more abstract something is, if you don't know exactly the steps that you're gonna go through to I can see that for your final product, you're more likely to procrastinate that way. And that's one reason why writing and in this case editing is you know, you procrastinate so much about it because it's it's getting that first word, it's making that first decision about how is this gonna work. Yeah, so it's the most one, intimidating. One is once you have one sentence down, you've eliminated about a million others you could have started with. Yeah. That's true. So, but I guess it, the one thing though that technology can change in terms of the storytelling is sometimes some of the aspects that are in the stories themselves. And when we were talking about yeah. this, the example that you frequently gave was cell phones. Cell phones bring in a whole new element that uh, insert in thrillers or mysteries that or, or action or things. action films that I think oftentimes I, I haven't understood this that movies conveniently ride out cell phones until they're necessary. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. Well, because it would interrupt a lot of things. You could just take a picture, you know, or just... Now, there's certain movies where they use them well. You know, they look up stuff. But uh -huh. I think it's a very selective use. Well, it's interesting. Like Casino Royale, you know, the first Daniel Craig, which is supposed to be a much more realistic James Bond. James Bond, like, only super, you know, super duper special weapon in that film... Well, mainly the main one is his cell phone. Like half the investigation is conducted via cell phones in that movie. <laughs> but sometimes, and then some some films push the limit. You know, like Eagle Eye or uh, Person of Interest. They play yeah. with the technology. Yeah, Person of Interest. Yeah, is very good at using all the like surveillance cameras. And but stuff like I, I do wonder if there's certain types of. I again, I I haven't thought this out completely. But I think there's certain stories that will purposely not put in the present because. There'd be too many hang-ups. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's much more convenient where you can't get to somewhere immediately or you can't talk to them, you know. If you can connect to someone immediately often, then it takes away some of the possibilities for tension. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, if you always get that phone, you're like, why didn't just call the police? Call, you know, but uh, if, if horror you... movies, why would you run upstairs and hide <laughs> in the closet if you could just call someone? <laughs> That's a good point. Now, have you ever heard of Buried? Yes. With Ryan Reynolds. A movie about uh, Ryan Reynolds buried in a casket with a cell phone. Um, and I think that's pretty much... I've not, I've not seen it yet, but I think that's pretty much the whole movie. And a lot of the tension comes from him like trying to talk to people. I think the terrorists had buried him alive to get him to do something. So I think he's like talk, trying to talk to these government agencies or something like that. But again, not a possible movie 10 years ago. That's true. Well, maybe. That'd be a stretch. You in a casket with the telegraph. <laughs> da, 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 da. Stop! Da, 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 da. Stop! But that, uh, it, it wouldn't work. This it, it wouldn't work. No, because at least with the cell phone you can get dialogue. Well, what was it? It, it? I might be even ten years old now. But the phone phone booth? You watch that? Oh yeah, that was. I have not seen. But that. no one uses phone booths anymore. I mean, do they? That's they hardly true. exist except I mean, in big cities. Yeah, I mean, or gas stations sometimes. Yeah. Well, probably not a phone booth. Maybe like a a little public yeah. phone yeah. stand. Yeah, they still have those. You know the. Quarter but yeah, that. Superman doesn't have a place to change anymore. <laughs> he's, he's always jumping the phone booth. The other thing with technology, and this has been true probably through all of movie and especially movie history, is technology is magical. It never crashes. <laughs> you can just type. Okay, the but, biggest the biggest offender of this, and you gotta give it a little leeway because it's Doctor Who and it's crazy anyways. But hack, you know, some in Mickey could hack into stuff like the. The British Department of Intelligence like, or whatever. Yeah, it'd like, it'd like typing the word buffalo or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Well, the other funny thing about computers and movies and stuff is you almost never see someone using a mouse. <laughs> They're always like typing away madly. Okay. Note to self, do not use a keyboard <laughs> to demonstrate while you're actually recording an episode. <laughs>
For a technology-based one, we've had our strange share of technical difficulties in recording this, folks. But technology in movies have often been um, whatever they need to be. Well, Technobabble. Technobabble. Star Trek, you know. (laughs) Well, while we're on Star Trek, though, the funny thing is sometimes technology is magic, but then sometimes technology depicted becomes true. Yeah. Like, I mean, Kirk's communicator can do a lot. Well, our cell phones can do a lot more than Kirk's communicator can do. That's Um, very true. And I read this really interesting article about, like, on Next Generation, they use those pad things to, like, for information stuff. That's like an iPad today. That's true. It's like, and our phones can speak to us. We're one step closer (laughs) to having computers that can talk, carry conversations with us. Hello, computer. Well, is is that Star Trek 4 when you try to use the mouse as a microphone? (laughs) That's great. I forget about that. Oh, and the thing that always annoys me watching these things is that when they're trying to desperately upload or download something, mm-hmm. or, or they just try to get it, nothing works that smoothly on a computer. Ever. <laughs> Ever. As Tim and I have demonstrated this podcast. <laughs> you know, you're in, a, you're in this, this tight computer that like only 10 people use and has all these passwords, and you can just stick in a disk or this, <laughs> this USB thing. Yeah, like, I was just watching part of Terminator 2 the other night, and the kid, like, plugs in this thing to the ATM and, like, starts running through all these thousands of numbers. And, like, how does that work? How did this kid get this? <laughs> of course, then again, you've got, like, the kid in Jurassic Park. And this is, like, 1995 yeah. when no one used computers. And she's, like, typing away, figuring out how to, like, lock doors and do all this stuff. Well, but John Hammond spared no expense. He had a really good computer system. <laughs> sure, okay. Okay. <laughs> Audience, if you can think of a movie where they use technology realistically, I'd be interested to know. I can't think of one off the top of my head. That doesn't mean they don't exist. Well, aside from James Bond, Casino Royale. Well, Because, yeah. I mean, what he, he did, you could do. Yeah, that's true. He was basically just following the numbers back, uh, phone numbers. Though I've seen several movies now when people do Google searches. Like, when you find something out, and they're like, oh, man, the Ghost Rider. I, someday <laughs> I want to do a riff tracks on that stupid movie. Okay, the Ghost Rider was this really clever. It started off as this really clever thriller until like halfway through, I realized it was just bashing the Bush administration, and I got really mad at it. But <laughs> Ewan McGregor at one point Google's the name of this defense secretary, and like he goes to this to this spy website, and is like, "This guy was formerly worked for the CIA, and he was in charge of this such and such of this and this and this." I'm like, "Wow, you can really find out about CIA agent information on Google? <laughs> I did not know this." That's oh. Google Spy. <laughs> Google Spy. <laughs> oh, <it's> so stupid. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I haven't read many contemporary books, so I can't vouch for technology in those. Mm-hmm. Though I, I would guess things like um, like the Sherlock Holmes of the time probably were pretty accurate, you know, and the Dickens and stuff, you know, were pretty good representations. And I haven't read contemporary contemporary novels about contemporary time. I haven't read many of those. Yeah, well, I guess uh, Philip K. Dick was pretty uh, prophetic in some ways. With I hear that. I desperately need to get some of his books. I mean, I well, I don't know how much... I mean, I know Minority Reports used... The movie used a lot of ideas that tech people were saying, hey, this is kind of based off what we see now, what might happen in the future. The one I, I kind of hope we see someday is I like the like gloves Tom Cruise uses for the like, I don't know, projector computer. Yeah, that, yeah. Uses. That's pretty good. I wouldn't mind having one of those. That's I like know, a step up from my Well, iPad. I know, I know, uh, I don't remember what company is working on, uh, it projects on the table and just touch it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard. Which is similar. And you see that, you see that in a lot of TV shows now. Yeah. Um, like, I think, what is it? Hawaii Five-O. They, I've seen some like that where they're like, you know, you fling it from the table and it shows up well, on a TV art, art seems to, especially visual art, tends to, anything that's 
almost real, they like to make use in their thing. Yeah. You know, if it's, you could almost do it, or like half a dozen people, you know, they'll have, well, and then you have shows like Eureka with Elf Smart House and stuff, but they're just having fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're throwing out all kinds. Well, and the funny thing is, this article that I was reading about, like, how Star Trek inspired the iPad, in a sense, I think part of it was out of cost-cutting thing. They didn't have, they didn't want to spend the budget to, like, put all these buttons and gadgets, so they just had these screens that just were, you know, very touch-based. Yeah. And it made sense. Not only did it was it uh, did it make technological sense, but it was very economical. I remember Jim uh, Krasinski said that NASA really liked the f- design of his Star Fury. Is, is that what they're called, Star Fury? No, that's something else, isn't it? Sounds right. Okay, Star Furies, and the way they're launched. You know, that's very the fighter ships. The, the fighter ships that NASA kind of I don't know stole some ideas or said or he's anyways NASA approved of how he had you know because that was one of those sci-fi shows that's very. That was purposely hard sci-fi in some ways. Yeah. Meaning it, it said this is a logical extension of what we have now. Uh-huh. Or, or at least theoretically possible. You know, so the that. crystal um, oh, yeah. way of destroying data. Mm-hmm. Probably. Not, not terribly unlike our flash drives now, really. And I think it's because of the makeup of the crystals, maybe. It has like mm-hmm. a... I remember reading Timeline by Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton is scary. Like... Next, if you read the book Next about genetics and we're, you know, right on the border of some things, scary book. <laughs> um, but Timeline, it was fascinating because they had a computer that used, I guess, electrons, and if I'm getting right, protons, has 16 different states. And so instead of using the zeros and ones that we use now, you would have an electron computer that would use 16 different states. So instead of having only two possibilities for each mm-hmm. data piece, you'd have 16. So you could work, you could process things substantially faster. Huh. You know, I thought that was a really intriguing idea. Why would that make... I guess I'm not sure, though, why that would make... Well, I guess it'd give you the possibility for more information. But in a certain and, sense... And more compact, I guess. Yeah. And so it's quicker. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess in a certain sense, the binary system seems so simple because it only is two numbers. But I guess, I mean, the more pixels you have in something, the more the better definition of it. Yeah, I think it's have. that sort of idea. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But anyway, we've rambled about technology, <laughs> about... Uh, how it creates new forms of storytelling and how it can it, have a role in stories of themselves. And, and, and honestly, I think new technology inspires a good number of stories. Hmm. I mean, the entire sci-fi genre was largely, in, you know, about what technology was inspiring. We're still waiting for our, like, rocket packs and jet cars yeah. and stuff like that. Although, after seeing um, Attack of the Clones, I'm not entirely sure that I <laughs> want flying cars now. That kind of changed my perspective on it. <laughs> All right. All right. So you want to do the first soundtrack? I will do that. So we will move on into our musical interlude, also known as soundtrack. Keeping with our technology theme, I think Nick and I are both going with some techno-ease kind of songs. And this one is no exception. This is another one by Star Salzman, who did uh, Black Wind Rising, which I did in an earlier episode, and I can't remember which one it is, which is like... But go back and listen through it, because it was uh, Black Wind Rising is a cool song. But this song is also cool. This is called Duck and Cover. It is from Mega Man 2. So, yeah, not much more to say than that it's techno, and it's fun techno at that.
This episode of Derail Trains of Thought is brought to you by Snakeogram, the leader in professional pranks. Everyone gets that itch to scare the pants off their friends from time to time. I know I do. But when I've used my gorilla suit for the eighth time and the deep breathing on the message machine just makes your wife roll her eyes, you know it's time to kick it up a notch. That's where Snakeogram comes in. For as little as $19.99, Snakeogram certified experts will package a live snake and ship it to your house in the guise of your friend or spouse's favorite company. Now, I've used Snakeogram, Tim, and my wife loves the UPS truck, so I thought I'd have them send her a book-sized package, and then when she found it on the doorstep, she couldn't wait to open it. Imagine my glee, Tim, when she calls me at work, almost unable to speak from her tears, saying a baby python was hiding on the couch after she disengaged it from her son's leg. I could hear him screaming in the background. Bazinga! That's the prank. So, anyways, afterwards, we had a big laugh about it. We love each other even more. Thank you, Snakeogram. So next time you're looking for a way to make your loved ones break down, think of Snakeogram. Because nothing says gotcha like a cobra in your kitchen. Check out their website today. Um, oh, okay. <clears throat> so that was... I'll take your word on that. So Tim and I have been getting some advertisements, and I use Snakeogram, so I thought they could be a sponsor of ours. That kind of, that kind of explains why uh, Natasha gave me this really dirty look when, uh, when I got here. Don't bite the hand that feeds you, Tim. Okay. With that said, uh, we're going to go into a segment that we haven't done in a surprisingly long time, because it used to be one of our fallback segments, but now it is time for our take on Tales. So yeah, Nick, I don't think we've done this since like episode 18. Really? That's I was good. I was That's thinking back on it. It was like I think because I think the last time we did it was when we talked about summer movies. Wow, that is quite a while ago. Yeah, good some good symbol selections in since then, and that's true. Some shorter episodes. We just yeah, some short. We had and then one really long one. That's well, so funny. Well, granted, yeah, there wasn't really time for anything else on that one. We've just done a lot of we've had a lot of interesting things come up, but it is time, listeners, for us to share some of the best of the stories. I think some of the best. I'm assuming you like what you yes, I do. Talk about okay. Uh, you want time to speak of sealing wax and oh, never mind. It's from Walrus and the Carpenter. Okay. Um, yes, I'll go ahead and start with mine. Go for so, it. So, I read recently. It was really enjoyable. I read a short story collection by Bra- by Ray Bradbury called The Cat's Pajamas. Now, Ray Bradbury is one of those authors everyone, you know, our friend Aaron loves. Okay. And uh, I read Fahrenheit 451, read a couple of their short stories that were in books when I was in school. Always liked them, but never really, you know, picked up anything on my own. This collection is like 20-some stories, and they, they're from throughout his career. There's one from 1940, there's one from 2003. I think the book came out in 2003 or four. And it was fun partly because having just, you know, my daughter's two months old, not having a lot of time to read, so I could sit down, read 10 pages, have a whole story, and some of them are really good. Now, some of them are kind of, like, leave this kind of a creepy feeling. Uh, there's this one called Just Sometime Before Dawn. It was about these two people just show up at this bed and breakfast, and they're kind of odd, and the guy, the guy's watching him, and the, and the lady gets up at like three o'clock every morning and just starts crying. And she lives next to her, next to him, so he hears her, and it, get, and it gets stranger and stranger. And I won't, I guess, shouldn't give away the end. Probably not. But very kind of subtle ending that you're like, whoa, that's weird. Um, <laughs> kind of Twilight Zone us. Kind of, tw- yeah. Like that one's Twilight Zone. Some of them are more. Um, there's a couple of them that could tell he was are kind of race-oriented, written 40s and 50s about kind of how races, you know, showing, like, there's this one where uh, this black guy's getting tan and the white guy, and the white guy gets so dark he almost looks black, and then this guy treats them both the same hmm. sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, 
Some of the ones that I thought I would like the best, like there's one where called the John Wilkes Booth Warner Brothers MGM NBC Funeral Train, <laughs> which I thought that sounds awesome. I don't know some of the ones that you could tell were more personal to him that really were things that little technical things that he was really involved in didn't come off so much as stories as just ways of him relieving. That one's about kind of indicting our our, our obsession with celebrity and not knowing our history. Mm-hmm. And sometimes idolizing people who aren't heroes, but the opposite, like John Wilkes Booth. Okay. But it it's very magical realism, meaning they're just walking around in their office and this train comes through and all these dead people who, you know, were part of big movie studios are in there. And But it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. There's one where he, his love, of, I guess he loves F. Scott Fitzgerald, but apparently at the end of his life, he spent too much time doing lame movies and drinking. And so... There's one where this guy basically makes a time machine to go back so that F. Scott Fitzgerald writes his great novel, Beyond Great Gatsby. And that's really all it is. It's like a dream fulfillment short story, which is interesting to read, but not as cool as, say, A Matter of Taste, which is about this plan of giant spiders that are all wise and peaceful. And these humans come and they know they're peaceful. They they just can't even stand to look at them because they're giant spiders. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like that. That is cool. It sounds like it's a, quite a variety it's, of stuff. And that's what I really liked. It's a real variety. It's called Cat's Pajamas. The main story is about these two cat lovers who they're going opposite ways on the road, and there's a cat on the road, and they both stop, and they both try to adopt the cat, and they argue with each other, and they go back to the hotel with each other trying to argue who's going to get the cat. And I mean, yeah. they're all over the place. And the guy's very good. I mean, he's very good at telling a short story. So I, I highly recommend it if you haven't read, read Ray Bradbury. This is a good collection. That sounds cool. I would actually like to get more of his collections now because it was it was short. It was every one of them was worth reading. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about and the nice thing about having a short story collection is just being able to pick, you know, just a little thing and that doesn't take a huge investment of time mm-hmm. but you feel like you've accomplished something. Actually as a Christmas gift, John Baylor, who was on this podcast earlier, and Steven, who I used to room with, um, right before the end of uh, my semester at Taylor, they gave me a Christmas present of the Complete Fairy Tales by George MacDonald. Oh, nice. Which is a great was a great choice. Of, I've been wanting to read George MacDonald for a long time because he was a big inspiration for C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. in his fairy tales. And we talked about an essay that he wrote, The Fantastic Imagination, yeah. that John recommended to us way back. But So I've just read uh, two of the stories now, and they're both really good. But yeah, it's just really nice to... You have a few minutes for lunch or whatever, but you, you don't want to get something real big, you know, just... Read through a little bit of it, but again, really good, really good stuff. And, and good short stories, and Ray Bradbury writes good ones, leave you with images or ideas or stuff. Even though they're only 10 pages, they feel like they weren't just fluff. You know, yeah. there, there's a sort of weight to them that stays with you. I mean, mm-hmm. most of them in here I could I could rant about. So <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and I picked up your copy of uh, Another World, 50 Snapshots, now available at Hulu.com dun, or dun, at WorksofNick.com. Actually, if you're going to order it, order it from SummerStories.com. Oh, that's right. I forgot that Summer Stories has a has a online sister- bookstore now. Oh. Uh, online place where you can buy it. Yeah, it would be good for her. And she has ones on copy. It'd be faster. Now, can, she, can you do that when you're not living around Kenneville? Yeah, she'll ship it. I mean, you have to pay a shipping fee. Oh, okay. Hmm, interesting. Well, there you go. Another a way to buy online from a local, local, as opposed to the like Amazon, the latest. I mean, I love Amazon, but it's becoming kind of the same name as Walmart. It feels like it's getting too big. Mm-hmm. So... But anyway, I guess it's time for mine. Yes, go for it. All right. I've been kind of holding on to this one since, oh, November at least. <laughs> so hopefully there's enough that's still fresh that I can that I can talk about it. But 
back when I used to lead teen Thursdays, be a teens librarian in Fort Wayne, a lot of my regular teens, there were a lot of them who uh, read anime and watched manga. And, and since I, you know, I'm a fan of some of those things, I, that was something that we could talk about. And a lot of them kept trying to get me to watch or read Death Note. They're like, Tim, you got to check out Death Note. It's so, it's so good. I was like, I don't know. The covers have these like very goth or emo looking kind of guys looking kind of sullen or, or mopey or something. And had something to do with writing in a notebook and that killed people so i was like this doesn't sound like my sort of thing it sounds really dark it doesn't sound but i kept hearing about death note all this time from anyone who from the anime community basically and uh, people were just loving this show so finally I'm like okay i gotta see what this thing is about and so i watched it and it wasn't long before i was hooked because the great thing about death note is it's a lot of a sort of a whole series of on a Holmes versus Moriarty sort of thing but the trick is that your protagonist is kind of the bad guy in fact he kind of is the bad guy and normally I don't like that sort of thing but it really kind of got past my radar and was it's interesting let me explain the premise real quick there's this kid in Japan who's a senior in high school basically who finds this notebook that if you write a person's name in it they die there's rules and stipulations about how you can about you can control how it happens, or you can if you just leave it blank, then the person dies of a heart attack. And so what this guy does, his name is Light Yagami. What Light does is he he gets this, he realizes what kind of power now he has with it, and he basically decides to become a sort of god. And he sets out to rid the world of evil people, so he starts killing off criminals that he hears about on TV. What he's going to work towards is that eventually no one, will, everyone will be too terrified to commit crimes, and you know then he'll basically be the one kind of presiding over this new world, you know, deciding who lives and who dies and so forth. Well, when criminals start dying off in the jails, then it institutes this police-wide, you know, investigation trying to figure out what's who's doing this, how are these people, all these criminals dying of, of heart attacks randomly, and. A detective, a particular detective, another teenager, like same age naturally, <laughs> steps forward who's very mysterious, very kind of creepy in appearance, whereas Light is very handsome, um, or at least anime-esque handsome. Yeah. But this guy, he has sort of a kind of creeper appearance, but he is he sets out to track down who is doing this. And he winds up, Light winds up using this alias called uh, Q, and this other detective character's name is L. So the whole thing is about Q and L, and like I said, it's sort of a cat and mouse thing. Each of them, because L now is trying to figure out who Q is so that mm -hmm. he can kill him off, because he he is poses enough of a threat. But they're both like both of these guys are geniuses, and the way that they set things up, and the way that they they're trying to one tries to get the other to fall in a trap, and the other outthinks him, or vice versa. It's just it's a fascinating, fascinating show. And, and sometimes you're not entirely sure who to root for because on the one hand, it seems like he's doing a good thing, killing off criminals and stuff. But when you start realizing the extents Light will go through to keep people from discovering him, you realize, okay, he is evil. <laughs> like, this is not a good thing, actually. But at the same time, you can't help kind of liking him while also liking the detective. It's a fascinating show and it throws some surprises. I think it ends pretty much exactly how in a sense, how you would expect it to. After you've been watching it for a while, you're like, there's only one way this really should end. And 
that's basically the way it ends. Um, but there, there's some very big surprises that come along the way, which I won't even come close to talking about. But for someone who likes having more clear, doesn't particularly care for more on ambiguity in stories, I thought I really enjoyed the series. It was really fascinating. That sounds interesting. I wonder if it's on Netflix. No, I'm pretty certain it is because, no, it is. Because we actually watched it on um, uh, Instant Stream. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you can get the discs or you can get it through, cool. through that way. Awesome. If we ever have time. Have so it, it's a very different anime than most. I mean, it's it's certainly obviously on the serious side. Yeah. So And there's a lot of talking in it. Um, huh. It's, in some ways, it's sort of surprising that it isn't. There's probably more talking in it than any other anime I've seen. Because it's not like you have, well, for the most part, you don't have big action sequences. Although you will probably see the most dramatic notebook writing you will ever see. <laughs> 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 fun that sounds really cool yeah fun stuff nice but yeah there's there's been a number of things i suppose in a few months we could talk about could talk about no the second evangelion movie yeah which was pretty good we pretty the end was completely insane (laughs) yeah like please finish next episode (laughs) yeah other movies some of them we might talk about next time Um, yeah about some of the some of the uh end of the year blockbusters yeah exactly maybe i might do a if there's any good TV, we should be talking about. <laughs> well, once upon a time. Once upon a time is my is probably my favorite of the stuff I've started watching. I would like to have been watching more Person of Interest, but I haven't had a chance. Same here. Well, I think part of the problem is that we've been oftentimes recording on well, Thursday, like, so it's partly our own fault. I guess. Watch the new the Doctor Who Christmas. Very very good. Yeah, actually, I saw that. Did you see it? I didn't get a chance to see it. It was very good. I know. He he says that about all the different rooms and how awesome they oh, are. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, the happy cry. <laughs> if you haven't watched Doctor <coughs> Who yet, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> Seriously, go out and watch Doctor Who's Christmas special. <laughs> now, here's a question for you, Nick. I was yes. going to post this on Facebook, but this might be for interesting, as long as we keep this brief. Yes. How many shows can you think of that have a perfect episode in terms of it kind of encapsulates everything you love about the show, and yet you could probably show it to someone who not familiar with it, and they would enjoy it just for the storytelling part of it. I could think of two examples of this. Okay, give me your two. Well, one is Blink from Doctor Who. Yes, Blink is genius. Blink is amazing. It's got comedy, action, romance, sadness, scariness. Timey-wimey. <laughs> Wibbly-wimey, timey-wimey. Yeah. Add new f- phrases to the Doctor Who See, the way, well, way I used to introduce Doctor Who was Girl in the Fireplace. Uh, yeah. Which was not quite as perfect for introducing as Blink became. Yeah. But it was before Blink. That's true. I know at least one listener of our podcast who was introduced to Doctor Who that way, which I think would be pretty cool. The other perfect one, and I can't think, I forgot to look at the title of this, of the episode. But the Desmond Penny episode of Lost, where he's like, where he's on the ship, and he's flashing back and forth. Oh, The and Constant. The Constant, where it ends with a phone call. Yeah. Perfect episode of Lost. Well, because it has all the sci-fi elements, but they don't matter. Yeah. Because Desmond Penny is all that matters in that episode. Mm. And they are awesome. And the payoff is just flawless. Yep. Those are, you're right. Those two episodes with fabulous payoff. Um, on the spot, I can't think of anything. <coughs> yeah, this might be a better Facebook conversation. But if you can think of something, I'd, I'd be curious. Because, I mean, and I guess by calling it a perfect episode, that it shouldn't necessarily downplay episodes that are really good but have to be taken in the context of a series because mm-hmm. Babylon 5 has some excellent episodes fabulous episodes but you, you can't come in the middle of any of them hardly not, not really you'd you'd be losing so much even the best ones season 2 and 3 and 4 have just 
I could almost see, and it doesn't really carefully battle in five, but the um, intersections real time was always an episode could stand alone. It's when Saradin's being interviewed, oh, in, yeah. but it's, it's not really indicative of the rest of the series. Not at all. But you could take it, I think, just because it's such a unique episode. That's true. Um, one of the, yeah, I can't think of any offhand, but... Something to think about. Perfect movie to introduce people to Miyazaki, I always think, is Cascagliolo's film. <laughs> it's probably true. It's very though, Western though, in some ways. Though, though How's Moving Castle, you might manage. It pos- yeah, I've, I've introduced a number of people to Miyazaki through How's Moving Castle, I think. And that's that's probably not Princess Mononoke. No, as we've <laughs> talked about here before. Yeah, that's probably true. Well, we better wrap this up, Nick. We've yep. got some other stuff to go out with, so I think we'll be fine. Yep. Yeah, well, we, we have plans. Okay, well, I guess I'll do... Uh... Yeah. Soundtrack. Oh, no, we should do contact. Contact it in case you want to contact us. Yeah, like that'll ever happen. Yeah. There are very many new technologies in order to get a hold of people, even if you don't know their phone number. <laughs> For instance, the interwebs. Yes, which I fancy is kind of how you got this episode. If not, I'd be really curious how you did. <laughs> um, but Stop. in case you forgot somehow, um, the her web address is derailedtrainsthoughts.blogspot.com. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, which is now working again. Yeah, well, I think we said that last time, but yeah, it's but we're so repeating. happy that it's working. Yeah. Um, you can email us at uh, at derailedtrains at gmail.com. That's and most of it. That's that's all for now. And uh, there may be more ways to contact us in the future. Maybe. maybe. Who knows what the future will bring? Ooh. Okay, now anyway, you can, yeah, now so you can soundtrack. your soundtrack. Um, my soundtrack is for a remix from Final Fantasy VII from the Crazy Motorcycle song, which was always one of my favorite from the original soundtrack. Yep. Um, this is remixed by Tef Neck and is called Motor Crazy Cycle. And it is uh, crazy. And it is from the album. Oh, it's from the album Voices the Livestream, which is probably my favorite um, album of Overclock Remix, except possibly for Heroes vs. Villains. Yeah, Heroes vs. Villains has got some pretty good stuff it's, on it. It's pretty high, hard, high quality, but this is four discs of almost all high quality That's stuff. That's true. I, I really hope they put the, the Final Fantasy IX album. I really want to see that I know. finished. <laughs> they they keep saying it's coming. Yeah. So. Final Fantasy IX is still my favorite. We'll have to, when it comes out, we'll have to just pick a couple soundtracks for like four episodes. I think so. Alright, I guess that will wrap us up for now. Um, Tim, we'll have to find some way out of here. I think they're calling you to do some sort of deathmatch. I'll sit over here and cheer. Uh, are you sure? Yes, I'll. When they want the motorcycle, I'll ride the motorcycle. Okay, well, you do work at a motorcycle shop. And know so. nothing about them. But. Alright, let me get this thing, this frisbee strapped. Oh, wait. Why don't. No. Okay, careful. <laughs> okay, I think I got it. Alright, sounds good. So, Alright, in the meantime, uh, assuming that I survived this, uh, this has been Tim. This has been Nick. And hopefully, we will see you next time. Control Alt Delete. I mean, bye.
coming soon to derail trains of thoughts in 2012. FYI, we have not actually recorded any other podcast yet. Can't give away our secrets. <laughs> so, um, we'll talk about stuff. Yeah, and uh, some other things. A couple of things after that. And we'll, I, I, I'll mess up a couple lines. You might talk about that one thing. Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Then that other thing. Yeah. No, we, we already did that one. Oh, yes, we did. But the one after that, mm-hmm. that's connected to that one guy. Oh, yeah. That I can't remember his name. So, Nick, let me tell you all about the art of finger puppetry and the huge impact that has had on our world. Your world or mine? Both. I'm listening. Tired of all these... In the well, Tim, you could just take that and put it in the. That is not logical. I'm not a captain, I'm a doctor. I'm really impressed, Nick, that you managed to get the entire population of Kinderville here to be our live studio audience today. Well, I'm very popular in Kinderville, and my brother is at least half as popular, twice as popular as I am. I'm glad you're being honest. (laughs) Sitting down here with one of our favorite professors, Dr. Adam Zajacek. Welcome to the studio, doctor. Welcome. At some point, God will come in. Well, he always does. Well, that's true. Five. Coming up next time. Four. Same bat time. Three. Same bat channel. Two. With no bats. One. Four channels. Half. That's all I've got. Zero. If you wrote a book and no one came, would it still exist? No one came to read it? Yeah. Isn't that the case for most of your books? <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, Tim. <laughs> <laughs>